This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He played. Oh, he's the one. Pussy up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, alongside Carter Yates, Mallory Hartley, and uh, guys, slow morning. Right. Not uh, much to do. I mean, just woke up yeah. and uh, kind of lollygagged around, and here we are. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, look, listen. If if you're familiar with the show, you know we sign off every show with Jimbo Fisher. Give us a call. Um, we won't be needing to do that anymore because we really have no reason for him to talk to us anymore. Uh, because according to Everybody, including our own Mike Craven, who has uh, confirmed the news, he's no longer the head coach at AM. So uh, that's where we're going to start the show, uh, just discussing everything because all of a sudden, AM's 51 to 10 win over Mississippi State does not mean anything. <laughs> um, we can swap and, out the game summary for yes. the news. So we're skipping. So, yes. For, so, first of all, we're definitely skipping the game summary because, I mean, it doesn't I matter. Know, like, the news in there was Jalen Henderson looked kind of cool, I guess. Um, but yeah, so so um, so Jimbo Fisher's gone, and Texas A&M's going to eat a seventy-five, roughly seventy-five million dollar buyout to hire a new head coach, which probably means probably another twenty-ish, thirty million for their him and his staff, and probably other some other stuff going on there. So. I mean, let's start there. Jimbo Fisher finishes, uh, what is it, 45 and 25 overall and 27 and 21 as a head coach at AM. Um, <laughs> look, I think it's funny that this did happen after they get to a bowl, after what Jimbo Fisher said was the goal. But then part of me is not surprised because if they wait, any more longer there's no chance to like even pretend to scrounge up and save this recruiting class that they potentially have the timing of the move is really interesting to me um because like we talk about five weeks left in the season five weeks until they got to sign this recruiting class Mm -hmm. there were talks earlier about like oh you lose jimbo fisher you also lose these recruiting classes you've been getting I don't think that's the case. Ish, I saw you tweeted, does firing a head coach ever save a recruiting class? Which which could be what we're looking at here. But I see a lot of people wondering, like, because they did it at this time, do they already have their potential replacement lined up? And I'm curious to see right. what y'all's thoughts are on that. I know we can talk about Mike Craven, you know, his yeah. potential candidates list. I kind of want to go through each of those that were written about and see – you know, what the possibilities are there, what we're thinking. Yeah, so here's the thing. Um, so, yeah, first of all, go read Craven's piece on his potential uh, replacements for Jimbo Fisher, candidates to watch. Some of them are names that we've we've heard. Some of them are speculation from us. Um, 
And by the way, him and Jay Arnold will be recording a new Aggie War Pod, which they'll go definitely in depth on everything. Uh, I believe they record tomorrow, so or Emergency Monday, Aggie Monday, um, depending. Huh? What was that? Emergency Aggie War Pod. Yeah. Um. So the, they'll be recording that. So definitely go check that out to get a lot of insight from, of course, Jay, who played for the program, things like that. So, I mean, let's start with. I think there are two obvious names that people will immediately go to. Um. Of course, in this state, I think one of them will be Jeff Trailer mm-hmm. at UTSA. Um, and then I think outside of that, I think you got to look to Mike Elko at Duke. Yep. Um, of course, Mike Elko, former defense coordinator under Jimbo Fisher. Uh, the, uh, I think that was probably the peak, very easily the peak of AM under Jimbo Fisher was when Mike Elko was the defensive coordinator. He's done a really good job at Duke so far. He's six and three this year. Um, I believe he won. They won. They won nine and three last year, if I'm not mistaken. So he has pedigree. He was a defense coordinator at Notre Dame before that, so he has experience at the Power Five level, all over. Um, and then Jeff Trailer, I think. I think for me, it, it depends on how you want to look at this hire. I think there's there are two easy layup names, right? I think it's Trailer and, and Mike Elko, and then I think. But this is Texas A&M. I don't think they want to go with the easy hire. I think they want to test their their metal, just like they did with Jimbo Fisher, where they pried him away from a, a Power Five job. I, I mean, the name like Dan Lanning has come up with Oregon. I think they would definitely love for him to at least tell them no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. And then obviously you can get to the crazier hires like, a, you know, a, a Dion and we can go through all those guys. Um, but still, I think it starts with two names and goes from there. But I would not be shocked if we see one or two like, oh, that guy, like, you know, those kind of names. Craven threw out a name. How about Urban Meyer? Yeah, I heard about that one, too. We've had the Urban Meyer character reclamation project that was the Swamp Kings documentary, which was just an Urban Meyer four-part infomercial. He's been on Fox Big Noon kickoff, has enough time passed from the Jacksonville Jaguars stint to where Texas A&M just completes the deal and brings Urban Meyer to College Station. I would hate that. (laughs) It'd be... It 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 makes sense in terms of both it it being a disaster, but also being something that they would want to try. Would right? it not be the funniest hire possible? Like it wins the, the it wins the players. award for the funniest hire. I'll give you that. It'd be the funniest hire. He's available, national like national title pedigree. So like that there would there would be their excuse, right? Um, hundred percent, and a, a tyrant by all accounts and how he runs his program so absolutely he would fit in there um or he wouldn't have to talk to anybody but yeah i that name is like bubbling around which is it's just really really weird um but you know i guess we can start with this what got jimbo fisher fired and what does the next coach have to have to kind of make up for that because you know, essentially, people love to point out how Jimbo, uh, they basically hired a $75 million Kevin Sumlin, right, minus the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, um, which is fair. But, you know, what – what because do, it does seem like AM has everything but the type of coaching they need to win. 
they have the players, they have the facilities, they have the support, booster backing, all that stuff. So, you know, when you look at Jimbo Fisher's tenure, what didn't work out, what maybe did work out, what what needs to go into this hire? I have a quote-ish that I sent you last night that I think yes. just perfectly mm-hmm. sums up the Jimbo Fisher era. Jimbo yes. Fisher, this is from Texags. Jimbo Fisher on being six and four, posting a 41-point win over Mississippi State. It's not frustrating, disappointing at times. We are three or four plays from playing for a playoff spot. We have to get past that. We have to put that past us. Mm -hmm. I think the Jimbo Fisher era can be summarized by Texas A&M bringing in what they thought was a game-changing head coach. And then him going 45-25 overall, 27-22 in SEC play, kind of having a worse record than Kevin Sumlin. But this was all with the 10-year, $75 million contract. They extended him after the 91 Orange Bowl season in 2020 during the COVID year. And Mm -hmm. ever since that point, he was 10-13 and in SEC play when this whole buyout came into fruition. And that quote of the lack of urgency from Jimbo Fisher of him not thinking this is a bigger deal than Mm -hmm. what A&M fans think, I think summarizes Jimbo Fisher and why they had to make a move right now. Because now you have Texas coming into the SEC, who we can talk about them later. They are now 9-1. and Uh, They seem to have a lot of program momentum. And Texas A&M has been stuck in neutral. And I said it last Sunday on the podcast, but it just felt like Jimbo did not feel the same sense of we have to go into overdrive that mm-hmm. X&M brass felt. Yeah. No, I think that, yeah, I, I think that you, you look at what, I'm trying to figure out what was the, besides the, besides the COVID season, <clears throat> where they went nine and one, what moment would you say was like the pinnacle of Jimbo Fisher as head coach at, at AM? Um, Cause like, I, I would like to imagine that it was when, you know, Zach Calzada beat Bama. Right. And you're like, Oh man, like look what could happen if things just happen to go. Right. I think the one thing that people, we joke about Jimbo Fisher, but like in a one-off scenario in a one game, Right, like there's not many coaches you would have strategize one game, let's say against a Nick Saban or a Kirby Smart. Right, one game. I'm talking about like if he goes into one game saying beat this team tomorrow. There are not many coaches in the country that you would have probably for that one off. Now everything else is has been the issue. Right, everything else is you know the way he runs his offense, the way he consistently develops his quarter or inconsistently develops his quarterbacks, coordinator hires, things like that. That's the issue. But I think that you look at the. I think that's what kept him around for as long as he did. Now, obviously, the buyout is one thing, but like I think that's what kept A and M brass and A and M fans like optimistic every year. Us, us included, right? Media as well. It's because you saw these one-off games where you're like, oh, they're going to get their butt kicked. And then they come out and they either win or they really, really put up a really good fight. And you're like, can he do this? Like you're, like, you're watching this team. You're like, is there something here that we're just not getting? And, uh, and seven, so, again, I, the seven yeah. overtime game from LSU. Right, exactly. You're just like, he's just pulling this out of nowhere. You're like, what is happening right now, you know? And I, I, we see those games, but it turns out, 
again, those one officers, I think they speak for themselves, but you see the the actual, you look at the other one-off scenarios when, okay, it turns out he's, it, there's a really sloppy game in there against Miami where they just get outclassed. And it's like, okay, that's really weird. That's a little concerning. Or, you know, um, uh, a, a Bama team that you probably should have beat, which is crazy to say now that we look at Bama, but like, again, a team that was there for the taking and they couldn't get it done in that situation. Uh, a Tennessee team that, had flaws they were still better i think a better team but they had flaws and they kind of were able to dominate in a way that we didn't expect uh that AM team defensively so yeah i I, we, I mean again more news will come out about this i'm curious what you think um as far as your if you had to pick a head coach right now for texas AM, who would you go with Ooh, i don't know i so money is not and again I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll, I'll say this as well like if you want to go as big as possible, obviously not Nick Saban, but like AM is like one of five programs in the country that can hire somebody away from somebody, right? So mm-hmm. I'm gonna say like money theoretically is not an is not a is not a they're gonna be paying two head coaches until the 2030s anyway. I think Dan Landing is the best one you go after. Mm-hmm. If you can somehow pluck him away from Oregon with the success that he's had uh there, I think he's like 19 and four in, in his yeah. tenure there, and also mm-hmm deep deep sec times he was a graduate assistant at alabama the defensive coordinator for the national title team at georgia i think he knows the sec footprint i think he's a young guy at 37 he could get some youthful energy into Mm -hmm. that program Uh, i think he would be the best hire for them to go after that is of course like we put craven put in his piece the biggest swing out of those realistic candidates it's so hard not to go with 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 Jeff Trailer. I mean, because yeah. his ties to the Texas High School Coaches Association, you know, his his high school career at Gilmer, it just feels like he is so ingrained into Texas and he's had all of that success at UTSA. Uh, it felt but what I'm concerned about with AM is is that not splashy enough for them, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think it, it goes to the whole you know, I will say this. I'm I'm very optimistic in terms of I think AM, I think the boosters took their swing in terms of their 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 kind of like their flex swing with Jimbo Fisher, right? I think that they realize I, again, this is me. You think they learned their lesson about flex swings? I think that they learned their lesson about thinking that money can just do it for them. That's what I think, right? Like, I'm not saying they're not going to pay somebody. They're going to, so whoever's going to get this money, get this job is going to be great, is going to be paid very well. Um, but I think that they thought they could legitimately buy a national title by doing Jimbo, by doing this Jimbo Fisher hire. Now, I'm saying, what I'm saying is, I think that they learned their lesson in terms of, oh, we actually need to spend the money. The money isn't in the coach, the money's in everything else. Right. And I think they need a coach who can coach and who can develop and who can do all the other things that I think they overlooked, in my opinion. Um, one of the encouraging signs that I will say is who they hire, who they picked as the interim head coach. It's apparently going to be Elijah Robinson. That's a fascinating one. Mm-hmm. That's not a that's not, you know, we kind of you maybe figured it would be Bobby Petrino or I mean, probably not DJ Durkin based on his t- history, but. It was the guy that was there. It, it was. It's I'm not an A and M lifer, but he's not. He didn't go to A and M. But like 
He was he coached at Baylor beforehand. He's been in the state, right? He's been like an ingrained guy there. Um, and he's a beloved guy there. He took over for Terry Price at the, as defensive acting defensive line coach. So I'm very fascinated if that was like, I don't know. They went with a culture guy. Let's just say that, right? It's He, he knows the team. He knows the guys. It's more of a relationships coach. If I had to pick, I think I'd go Lanning. But I also don't want to dismiss the idea of them maybe wanting to find their own Dan Lanning. Glenn Schumann, anyone? Right now, the defensive coordinator of Georgia, 33 years old. Um, he took over for Dan Lanning, right? If this is them, if they look at the the Kirby Smart Dan Lanning model, right? Let's go get the defensive coordinator from the current powerhouse <laughs> and see if they can implement that. Maybe. I don't know. Again, it, that's me. Uh, uh, I believe he also... I think he may also be a native Texan, I believe. Um, yeah, he played football and basketball at McKinney Boyd. So there you go. That's an interesting one. Uh, but I agree. I think Jeff Trailer would be the layup easiest hire by far, um, just because I think it'd be – I don't know. I think it'd be very easy. But uh, that'll be one to watch, uh, uh, a head coaching search to watch the first official one in the state. Probably well, a domino effect. We'll see. <laughs> the Jeff Trailer thing, too, it's interesting because – so this is a quote from Jeff Trailer after the game from Greg Luca. Yes. Uh, asked about sophomore Trey Moore's record-setting season with 14 sacks, Jeff Trailer immediately starts plugging the Roadrunners NIL collectives. Let's make sure our own San Antonio kids don't get picked. It's fixing to be open season on our roster. And that's been kind of a theme from Jeff Trailer in his UTSA tenure of talking about – them getting shredded in the transfer portal of these higher programs coming in to pick off their roster. And that's not wrong to say by Jeff Chandler at all. Like he has been yeah. there for three years. He has built a program. People are trying to get his best players. I think he's done a lot to shed some light on in this outlaw era of there are no rules in the transfer portal and you know, coaches are just reaching out constantly. He's he's done a good job of highlighting what's going on. But now that it's his, it might be his time to level up, we're going to see how – we're going to come back to these quotes here in a couple weeks. And I'll see – you mentioned the players. What about his staff, too? Very he's true. Gonna, speaking of Dan Lanning, right, who's their offensive coordinator right now? Will Stein, former offensive coordinator at UTSA. Um, I believe Barry Lunny, who's currently at – I believe he's at Purdue – or Arkansas, Illinois, sorry, Illinois, um, former offensive coordinator before Will Stein. So, like, <laughs> he's been he's been pillaged on both ends. So, yeah, we'll definitely see if uh, if he's tired of it and he's like, where's a place I can just pay my guys and they'll never leave? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we'll see. Uh, same to go with players. And also, again, we'll keep track on com. Recruiting stuff is going to come down. Terry Bussey tweeted out the thinking emoji, <laughs> right? Evan Stewart, uh, we'll see what he what happens with him, if anything, in the portal. He tweeted out, uh, I just woke up and what the hell, you know? <laughs> like, so The cupboard is not bare at Texas A&M. For no. all the, you know, roasting of Jimbo Fisher that's gone on over the past few years, he has recruited at an elite level. Now, how much of yes. that is Jimbo Fisher and how much of that is the resources and the administration that is in Texas sure. A&M? I'm not totally sure, but Jimbo deserves some credit for – stalking this roster oh yeah no we'll see we'll see how it uh how it goes all right let's get to the normal part of this show we'll have to make it a little bit quicker but probably can i mean there's some interesting matchups and stuff like that going on so um let's start with one of the games of the week i guess to me the i mean i think the definitely the biggest game of the week weekend 
Uh, Texas 29, TCU 26. Texas comes out, holds on, they go up big, and then they decide to do the whole thing they've done the past couple, I don't say past couple weeks, but they've done recently, uh, especially under Steve Sarkeesian, where they let the team come back in the game and almost have a chance to win (laughs) until late. Uh, A deep shot to Adonai Mitchell kind of finally put this one away for Texas uh, on a first down. And yeah, look, I mean, I hate for, for for Texas first before we get TCU because I do have some TCU thoughts. Um, it's a little concerning that they still haven't figured this part out, right? This is something that when Steve Sarkeesian was struggling in his first year, when they had the weird year last year where they kind of were showing improvement but still weren't there, it's always the incredible first quarter, first half, Look at this team. This is a conference slash national title contender. And then he just goes into neutral. And there's no, it's the opposite of a slogan. There's no gas. There's just, he's riding the brake. He's riding the brakes. (laughs) And it lets the team just kind of sleep, kind of just sleepwalk back into it. Um, Because your defense isn't going to be lights out for the full game. And your offense just goes into neutral. So I don't know. It's it's weird to me. It's it's very concerning that they still haven't figured this out yet three years in. Here's Steve Sarkeesian postgame. Another way that our guys continue to find ways to win the game. I hate to sound like a broken record, but the versatility of this team, the heart and resiliency that this team shows, the ability God. to make plays at critical moments when we needed them the most showed up. And my question to that is this. How many times can you credit yourself for overcoming the adversity you create? Like at what point, maybe in the Houston game where it was a weird game, you're traveling to Houston, they're jazzed mm-hmm. up because it's the first time they're going to play you ever for as long as you know we can see into the future. Yeah. They came back. Hey, props to y'all for getting punched in the mouth and responding. But after you let a 27 to 7 lead versus Kansas State evaporate, now you do it again versus TCU. I, you're finding ways to win, but it doesn't have to be like that. Like, you could put these teams away. And the yeah. problem with Texas is they look like the best team in the nation for two quarters, for one and a half quarters. And then they get punched in the mouth, and one punch turns into three, which turns into six. They can't ever stop the bleeding in time. So I think right. that's concerning. Like, I, I was sitting watching the game with my dad, and my dad is kind of like, you know, is Texas the softest 9-1 team in the nation? And I was like, no, they're not because of Louisville. But after Louisville, maybe? I mean, we keep looking at Washington and Florida State ahead of them in the polls, and, like, Florida State's so shaky. Washington had Mm -hmm. to overcome a deficit. Dude, Texas is shaky as hell right now. Yeah. No, they do. Like, it. yesterday was a really – I think Alex Kirshner tweeted this out, where that was the biggest indication of having dudes versus not having dudes, right? Like – Texas went up. It was like, okay, they're clearly the more talented team. Then, of course, they let them come back into it. TCU just kind of, like, stumbles into making this a one-score game. And then Texas has a dude and Adonai Mitchell, and TCU doesn't. And so it's like – it it kind of like they they just basically like, oh, yeah, we have the guy that can make the one play that can put this game away, whereas TCU doesn't have the one guy that can, like, really put them – to kind of capitalize on something like this. Yeah, I mean, over under three first-round picks on this Texas offense – Sure. I mean, like, yeah. Adonai Mitchell is a sneaky first rounder. Xavier has always been talked about as a Kelvin first rounder. Jonathan Brooks will get to him in this injury he suffered, but like he Kelvin was Banks, DJ Campbell potentially. Yeah. 
the line. I mean, I, I would think it's over three first round picks they have on this offense alone. So yeah. that is like, like you're talking about there. It's the biggest indication of having the guys because let's be quite honest. That Adonai Mitchell play at the very end was an Adonai Mitchell play. That was not a. I was about to say, I, I I do not want to hear people say what a good throw. That was an underthrow that he adjusted, mm-hmm. <laughs> that he adjusted to very well to make that catch. Again, great catch on him. And I know Xavier Worthy had the hundred yard game, but to me, this season has been Adonai Mitchell stepping up when they needed him most, because I think Xavier Worthy, I think, is the more talented player. I do think he's still very much a player who you see who you, I I think he's a first round pick who I think has the potential to be in that Marvin Harrison jr. Conversation in terms of best quarter wide receiver, but he's not right. I think he has the gifts and he has the potential to be in that conversation as one of the, as the top receiver in the country, but he's not because of inconsistencies with his hands, with his route running, things like that. And so when it comes to those moments, I think consistently I trust Adonai Mitchell to make those kind of adjustments and make those kind of like big step up moments like we saw yesterday when they needed a play, ball's a little underthrown. let me adjust my body and make this crazy catch, right? Dude, Xavier Worthy was cooking Josh Newton in the first half. Like Josh yeah. Newton is, he was potentially the best cornerback on TCU's team last year when Travis Hodges-Tomlin won the Thorpe Award and Josh Newton has been stellar all season. And Xavier yeah. Worthy had his number. Like he's got the talent, but there are times where he just kind of disappears. And that's what Texas was missing all of last year with like always searching for that third wide receiver. So I totally agree with that. Quinn Ewers looked very rusty in that game yesterday. Yeah, he did. And like it is the one, the the first interception where Jordan Whittington made perhaps my favorite play of the entire college football season. It was a very uh, underthrown ball and Jordan Whittington comes from the opposite side of field, misses the tackle, and mm-hmm. then gets up, sprints back, and uh, bats the ball out of Millard Bradford's hand. Uh, that's one of those plays that every high school football coach is going to show at the beginning of the season and be like, this is the kind of culture we need to have and the type of effort we need to have. That yeah. was an underthrown ball. Uh, he missed Adonai Mitchell on a third, and it was in the red zone. It was third down. He missed him on an out route. That would have been a touchdown. Um, that last throw to Adonai Mitchell was underthrown, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm willing to give him some benefit of the doubt and be like, look, he is rusty. He was out for two weeks. But those are the shaky moments where you can overcome versus a TCU team that's very down. Once you get to Big 12 championship, once you get to potentially the college football playoff, you have to have those every single time. Yep. All right, let's skip. Let's get to the TCU side. I'm gonna go to the TCU side for a bit because I have thoughts on Kendall Bryles, um, <laughs> and I mentioned him because this TCU team had a chance to come back in this game. They were, they did come back in this game. I'll say this. Um, oh boy, uh, look, I don't know if Josh Hoover is somebody who is a Power Five starting quarterback or will be. I should say not right now. Will be. I know very much that this uh, Kendall Browse is not the guy to get whatever you can out of him. In my opinion, I thought he was fine in this game from what he was asked to do. I just don't think you can win when you're calling pearl routes on third and eight and short screens and short routes short of the first down marker. Uh, there was a stat that's uh, let's see. I think it was honestly college football Reddit uh, put, it, put it out. 
Since hiring Kendall Browse, TCU has scored more than seven points and a half against non-transitioning Power 5 competition only four times. Right. Um, how many, let's see, how many times, how many halves the Frogs have been held out of the red zone entirely against non-transitioning Power 5? Also four. Look, this is, again, we know this team lost a lot last year. That's points beaten to death. You can't tell me that this team doesn't have guys who should be able to do average to slightly above average things in the Big 12, right? Savion Williams is a good wide receiver. J.P. Richardson, good wide receiver. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like, they're good wide – I'm not saying they're alpha number one types, but they're good wide receivers. Uh, Monty Bailey, good running back. And you're watching them put up numbers, and I can see how the reputation of – Kendall Browse as a coordinator probably gets inflated because you look at the numbers, you're like, oh man, 100 yard game for Bailey, 100 yard game for Savion, 300 yards for Josh Hoover. Look at that. Look at that. And you watch the game, you're like, I was like, wow, huh? Hoover did have over 300 yards, didn't he? Mm-hmm. It, it didn't feel like it, right? Quiet <laughs> 300 yard game. Like it very much is because you watch this offense and you watch this Texas team hand do the game on a silver platter saying, hey, here take the lead and you're watching an offense like kind of almost against their better judgment <laughs> come back into it also by the fact that they got down in the first place by that much yeah death taxes and offensive coordinators throwing short of the sticks on third and medium it's that's so bad it, man that's what comes to mind when i think about kendall browse's offense and i will say okay devil's advocate credit sure. to kendall browse for finally feeding Savion williams i mean this was sure. a guy going into the season where it's like, hey, we lost, you know, Quentin Johnston, but also Savion Williams is 6'5", and, like, he was pretty good last year. He could step in and be the number one guy, and he's been low-key invisible for a lot of the season, and I don't know if it's sure. a Savion Williams issue or if it's like uh, they're just not getting him involved in the game plan issue or we're rotating through multiple quarterbacks, but they start feeding him yesterday, and he's 6'5", and awesome, and I'm watching that game like, where has he been all year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, I think that I, after this game, I tweeted this, like, I don't see how Sonny Dykes can watch this game and say, I need to, and not think I need to call plays because like, I think he had, again, I think he had, I don't, I don't think Josh Hoover right now is a power five quarterback. Do I think he could be? Maybe. I don't know. Eventually. I didn't think Max Duggan was a, a FBS quarterback when he first started playing. Um, and so maybe with development he can, there, but it's clear that TCU has tools on offense that aren't being put in the best situation. So um, I think the fans are obviously completely done with, with him as a play caller. Um, it looks like they've come like who as very little of a, a support he had. I think that's gone now. I think they're like, they saw last night's game where they saw a real big opportunity to make some, something happen and they had to dig themselves out of a hole that the offense got them into in the first place. And so, yeah, unfortunately with Kendall Browse, it's like with the baggage, your name kind of carries, you need to be next to perfect as a yeah. play caller for people to, you know, shove aside, you know, what's been going on. Yep. And when 100%. you struggle, then it's like, Oh, we hired this guy and the offense is not that great either. Right. Right. So. It's like, yeah, it becomes a whole like, well, at least we hired somebody with no baggage at all. It's like, Oh, never mind, You know, yeah. So, all right. Um, moving on to, I'm trying to think. What were the other games of the week? Uh, 
Texas Tech, Kansas. Kansas. Yeah, it was. Okay. Biggest result that we have. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Texas Tech. Oh, did I not get that game? Wow, I didn't put that game up. Okay. Texas Tech, 16. Kansas, 13. Um, What a game. What a game. A I win on the out. road against a yeah, team. On the road, Texas Tech getting it done. I tweeted out that Zach Kittley's coaching like rent was due. And uh, Rob Bro from the Gambling Gauchos said, because it is. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, you know what? You're not wrong. Because, Carter, what was the first half stats for, for Taj Brooks? Oh, let me find it. So uh, 43 carries was the Texas Tech program record um, for – for most carries in a game, Anthony Hutchinson in 1982. And I believe Taj yeah. Brooks had 22 in the first oh, half. Man. So he was on pace to break it. <laughs> this was yeah, the get was... off my back about Taj Brooks game. Yeah. It it's was. the here damn game. Here damn. Like, you, want, you want the running back here. Jeez. <laughs> and they made sure. Now, it obviously should be mentioned that Baron Morton did not look 100% healthy. Um, We'll get to how he finished the game, but I think that that was part of the reason that he had that Tosh Brooks had such a heavy load. It was like, hey, this guy's not, we're not going to be able to throw 50 times with this guy for this whole entire game. So <laughs> I like to believe that like Baron Morton was like 60%, which is like good enough. And then, but that was good enough for Joey to be like, yep, look, we're playing him because if we play the other guy. You're going to throw with him like too much. So we're going to play with the guy that you're going to be forced to not throw with. And so hand the ball off to our all-conference running back. Um, look, let's let's um, let's just skip ahead to, to how this game ended. Um, so I was very much like not a fan of how they were managing this game towards the end. Uh, Kansas had a chance to they got in the red zone, and I believe they had what was it like a, just over 45, 40 seconds, something like that left. Um, yeah, just over forty-five seconds, and. Uh, the third string quarterback, Colts GM son, Ballard, uh, yeah, um, runs it down to the three yard line. And the announcers are very clearly like, I would have liked to have KU have another play called right there because they very clearly had one timeout left and didn't have another play called, and time was just running out. And then right. Texas Tech calls a timeout, and the announcers and myself are like, What the hell is going on? Like, why would Tech seemingly bail them out and give them a timeout so they can now go for the win instead of having to play for overtime. Yeah. And then also I don't I don't know if you realize so I didn't realize this at the time. Uh Kansas, I didn't realize that I guess I completely spaced out because I was like baffled that uh tech called the timeout at the time. They called a wildcat throw on third down. Mm-hmm. That complete I completely forgot about that in the moment. I I would have like lost my mind if like I realized that in the moment because I was still baffled by tech. I was like, what are they doing? What's tech doing? What's Joey doing? Um, I completely would have been like, you wasted a free play on a wildcat throw. <laughs> like yeah, it- I, this kid this kid took you down all the way to the goal line, and I forgot that they flared him out to a wide receiver and then rolled to the short side of the field. I'm like, that ugh, I would have ripped Lance Leipold a new one if I would remember if I would have realized in real time what play was being called yeah it it felt like they were trying to get like let's flex for this victory like let's run this like crazy play um and stuff like that so okay fast forward to me wondering what the hell Texas Tech is doing and the announcers wondering what they're doing 
Texas Tech then gets the ball back with well, like, yeah, so Can- Kansas ties it. Kansas ties Kansas it on the field goal. Yeah. Kansas ties it. It's 13-13. Texas Tech gets the ball back. And all of a sudden, Baron Morton is like healed. And it's the to- it's the rock, it's the rockin' fast six where he flexes the cast off. And it's like, yes. it's like daddy's, <laughs> daddy's gotta go to work. And so like his arm is just okay. Yes, and starts slinging the pigskin down the field. <laughs> three straight passes, I think of 16-14, and then like a 32-yard bomb to Duran Bradley to set up a game-winning field goal. And maybe, like, it felt like Texas Tech offense turtled the entire game because yeah. Aaron Morton was so hurt and then pulls that Dwayne the Rock, flex the cast off, <laughs> and we're back to Texas Tech gunslinging offense. And Joey McGuire... I mean, bravo. Yeah, I, gotta, I so doubted that. I did not know what was going on. Uh, and that's why I'm not a Division One head football coach. Yeah, I mean, look, master class of 5D chess, like legitimate 5D chess, not like the sarcastic way of it. Um, and I should – this doesn't – it doesn't surprise me because he is somebody who's done this, right? When he first got – last year – Everybody was like, man, they're going for it on fourth down like every single time. It's like he's an aggressive coach. Like that's the way he just coaches. And, yeah, I get it. Like if if Kansas scores, okay, yeah, we're probably like, hey, look, you, you know, you probably, you know, set yourself up there. But also he wanted to give a chance to his guys to go down and just win the damn game. Um, I, 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 again, this was also with me thinking that Baron Morton couldn't make the throws that he made on those on that last drive. So, he knew his players, he knew his team, he knew the situation. And again, like you said, that's why he is the head coach and we are here because that was one of the most gutsy uh, uh, decisions and just like game management in general, like from a top to bottom, like the way he handled the timeouts, the way he played called that, the way he trusted his team, trusted his offense. That was it. Like trusted his defense to get one stop, right? Because if that's a touchdown, we're probably not having this conversation. Um, and so, I mean, that's, that's credit to Joey McGuire, man. That's one of the more impressive wins, I think, because everything was seemingly going against him, right? The, uh, Kansas was like, you were on the road. Kansas was kind of wheeling and dealing with this kid who you never seen before. He was kind of playing the game of his life. Ballard was, and you're like, oh, something's just going to go bad here. And look, we'll get to, we'll get more on tech as the season winds down. There's a lot. There's a lot of reason to believe that last year, I think, not didn't set them up for failure because that's the wrong way to put it. Last year was one of the be- the best year Tech's had since Leach. But there's a lot of ways where last year I think set trajectories a little off from what the program actually needed to to build, and that this year isn't a step back for this program. I really I think totally, that. I so, totally. We'll, yeah. And and I think if they can get to a bowl game. That just shows that they're still going in the right direction. And I think with Joey McGuire, like going back to that decision he made, I think he just realized that if we're not going to beat, no offense to Indianapolis Colts GM Chris Ballard's son, like gutsy performance, great kid, you know, GM son. uh, If we can't beat this guy, we're not going to a bowl game. So I would rather take a timeout and potentially let them score on us if it gives us the opportunity to force a field goal and go down and win this football game, because we have tech Texas uh, last game of the season. Look, as it's going right now, again, we've talked about Texas and how shaky they are. 
probably going to be underdogs in that game. They needed yeah. two of the last three to get to a bowl game. And I think Joey McGuire is like, put it all on the line. Like, let's go for it. And I don't think Joey McGuire gets enough credit for the in-game tactician he is. I think a lot of Joey McGuire is, oh, he's this politician. And he's this jovial guy. And he's, the, you know, the handshaker, backslapper. And right. he's a culture guy. Duke can coach in the game, you know. He's a killer. (laughs) He's a killer. (laughs) He's a killer in the game. And uh, that's a game, like, we talk about Jimbo Fisher. There's moments where Jimbo Fisher had these games, like the seven-overtime game versus LSU, but overall Mm -hmm. lack of signature wins. Like, that is the game Joey McGuire won for them. Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. And then also against Texas, they'll have Brett Yormark there, like Joaquin Phoenix and Gladiator. Just like yep. holding his thumb <laughs> when <laughs> when 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 Jade Barron gets an interception, but it's off of a targeting penalty. He's gonna give the thumbs down to the ref. He's gonna be like, "Overturn that, my sir." Yes. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. Let's move on. Uh, we can get through some of these other crazy results. Let's see. Let's get to. Uh, let's do okay. Let's do the midweek game. Sorry, Mallory. Let's do the midweek game because. That was something of significance. Don't have SMU 45, <laughs> North Texas 21. Um, look, this one, I will say, this one legitimately looked like a game for 60% of it. And then mistakes just piled up for North Texas. And I believe this was, what, 17, 14 at the half, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it was I was gonna say yeah. they flipped the script, which is good, I guess. <laughs> they didn't let it, yeah. <laughs> they didn't let uh, they weren't out of the game in the first quarter. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, they didn't need to mount a comeback. Instead, they just let the second half, you know. Just... Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll say this. I think I was encouraged by North Texas' defense to start, right? You mentioned it, 14 points at the half. Uh, SMU wasn't uh, they were trying right I'm just saying this they were trying to put up points and they seemingly weren't able to they I believe they got a couple turnovers they got they got two Preston Stone a couple times who did start the game for for SMU um, after a week of kind of uh, some interesting smoke screen by Rhett Lashley letting Kevin Henry Jennings do the press and all that stuff all throughout the week <laughs> um, and then only to start Preston Stone but then yeah, exactly. Good, some good, some really clever tricks. But then in the second half, Chandler Rogers. First of all, they thought they had a turnover. Then it was overturned, and then they actually did get a turnover. Yeah, and then, lie it, play of the weekend. Yeah, it was very, Chandler it was Rogers just big, drops the ball. Yeah, literally, like he just looks to throw the ball, and it just he has some grease on his hands or something, and just slips out. And then that's unfortunately that's the the steamroll um, because they basically just. Out, I forgot what how much they outscored them by, but it was a lot. I think it was maybe more or less every they they were completely shut out in the first half, second half. I think North Texas was, mm-hmm. um, or they think I won the one touchdown, and so I don't know what to take from it other than that SMU's really damn good. <laughs> yeah, I think the um, second half just kind of shows why SMU is yeah. the American Athletic Conference favorites. Like when they can really just pour it on teams like that, and then you see in the trenches, like SMU just completely overpowered North Texas because SMU, we've talked about it all season. All of their all of their line of scrimmage guys did not go to SMU to start their career. They're all right. power five transfer guys. So we've talked about North Texas in the trenches this season, the 3-3-5 not really working for them. 
the second half is where you see how SMU is a different class of team than North Texas is right now. And it's the yeah. physical difference on the field. Craven talked about it in his piece after. Just look at both squads on the field. You see the massive size disparity. Uh, SMU is scary for the American Athletic Conference right now. They are the favorite to go to the New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, it's wild. Memphis, they got Memphis next week, and then they got Navy. Two winnable games. Again, that Memphis game is going to be very fascinating because I believe – I don't want to say this is their first time returning since then, but like the last time they were in Memphis for a big game, I think it was maybe the highest attended group of five game, like regular season game, because that was the ESPN, I think game day was there, if I'm not mistaken, because that was the year that they were either both undefeated or both one loss and like really playing for a chance. I can't remember exactly, but Memphis ended up winning that game. And so this could be a huge showcase for them. Well, is this one at SMU or Memphis? This one's at Memphis. Okay, I was going to say, because this could break the record if it was at SMU and Seth Hennigan's homecoming, uh, his contingent, again, was there. <laughs> yeah, this will be, like, yeah, his, oh, the whole the whole clan's going to be there. Uh, <laughs> no, this was, so 2019, 54-48 Memphis. It was 8-1 eight and, eight and one versus 8-0. And, oh. and so this is going to be the biggest game since then by far between these two teams. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, Mallory, I'm, I'm curious, just your thoughts on just North Texas in general. It feels like they just got, again, it shows that this is a rebuild year more or less. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, again, I've said it many times. I'm excited that we've seen a little bit of, you know, Eric Morris kind of giving up what he wants to do to, to make adjustments during the mid season. And again, it's just kind of one of those things where it is a rebuild year. I'm excited to see mm-hmm. what he does during the off season. Um, I don't think – I think we're out of bowl contention. Yes. I guess not we are, but we're out of bowl contention at this point. Um, you but are I'm, out of again, bowl I'm just – huh? I know. <laughs> so you said we, like you, you I are know. I need – I know. They're out of bowl Listen, contention. You pay, student, you pay student loans. I did. Sure. <laughs> sure. They're my team. But, yeah, again, I'm I'm excited to see what, what they're going to do during the offseason, who they're going to be able to bring in and what this coaching staff can offer because I do think it's a talented coaching staff and – I think this this program is in in a good direction. Look, I think you got to tear it down before you build it back up. I think this is what North Texas knew was going to be happening this oh, year. Oh yeah, definitely. Rebuild year. Seth Luttrell, what was the stat? Like six bowl games in seven years. I think they just knew they capped out with Seth yeah. Luttrell, and Eric mm-hmm. Morris can get them above that. But you got to break it down to build it back yeah. up. And I, th- and right. I totally agree with you, Mallory. I love the direction of this program for the long term. Yeah. Yep. All righty. Let's move on to, uh, let's see, should we go good or bad? Uh, we can go power pole, but I kind of just want to keep on this like random vibes uh, deal. Let's do the random uh, vibes. Let's do random vibes. Okay. So we're going to go bad and then we're going to go really good. Uh, bad. Baylor. Uh, Kansas State 59. <laughs> real bad. Okay, I didn't know we were going that bad. <laughs> we're going to get the real bad out the way. Look, uh, I, I think it's time. Um, I also don't know. Speaking of teams with crazy buyouts, obviously Baylor's a private school, so we don't know exactly, but some indications to us are that Dave Rand has a very, very, very interesting buyout that comes after winning a, a Big 12 title. Um, Kansas, we, 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 we knew that Kansas would exercise some demons. (laughs) 
I didn't quite expect 59 points. <laughs> they, it was a full exorcism. It was yeah. it was not close for one second. I mean, I saw uh, Cameron Stewart, a friend from Locked On Baylor, tweeted credit to Kansas State for waiting till the first play of the second quarter to make it 28 to 7 because Kansas State was literally going right into uh, to score right there. Uh, does Texas A&M firing Jimbo Fisher speed up the timeline? I was going to say, because there's already a p- couple of programs around the, the nation that are also in the search right now, too. Does that make Baylor kind of question like, hey, do we need to get in this search, too, right now? Yeah, I think that I wonder if A&M, here's the thing. I don't know if A&M is the one. I think A&M potentially, let me say this, in a vacuum, I don't think A&M is the job. But I think A&M firing Jimbo maybe speeds things up for a program like Arkansas, who also wants to get in on the race, who just lost 48 to 10 to Auburn yesterday. Mm-hmm. So if they go four and eight, three and nine, right? All of a sudden, okay, Arkansas opens up. I think that could speed up because Arkansas is in the same geographical area to where they would be looking at candidates that Baylor would theoretically want as well. So I think that AM maybe speeds up Arkansas, which then I think domino mm-hmm. effects to Baylor. Because then it's like, okay, if AM doesn't want Jeff Trailer, okay, cool. Like, does Arkansas want Jeff Trailer? Oh, maybe, you know, so we'll see. I, I think that this is a, I think that's a, that is an interesting point because a 59 to 10, all of a sudden that Bruce Feldman thing about like people like you know, Dave Aranda and Waco. And it's like, I'm sure they do, man. I'm sure they do. But <laughs> I like Dave Aranda too. How do you not like Dave Aranda? But I was about to say, like, you, you can like a guy. You can like a guy. It uh, doesn't mean I want him to, to, to marry my kid. You know, like I can like his, like, he's a great guy. It's like, I don't, I don't want him. I don't want him dating my daughter, my son, then my son, you know, whatever. Like, I don't need him around my family. Right. <laughs> if I, if I think he's a good guy. The point um, I made earlier in the season, I would yeah. love if Dave Aranda was my grandfather and I could sit on his knee and have him tell me stories. About yeah. Him. There we go. Like but you know what, you know what, you know what also happens with, with, with grandpa, you, you can go home. Like <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to be in the same house as your grandpa all the time, right? I, look, my grandpa can't coach a football team. Sometimes, you know, right. nothing about my exactly. grandpa, nothing wrong with my grandpa. I'm just like, awesome. I was about to say, grandpa, love you, grandpa. I'm gonna go home now, so you can you chill here. <laughs> We're gonna uh, Zach Smith at the uh, Waco Tribune tweeted out probably the most these Dave Miranda quotes just get more and more depressing every week. Um, of course, you mentioned how. Uh, their pregame was great one time. So like that must've been, they were in for a good game and obviously they ended up losing Um, this one from after this game. This is the bottom. You can't get any worse than this with the score and just the feeling you have. These are the games you remember for a long time. You just feel gutted. I feel like that now. And I know our guys do. He basically just said, it's never been more over. It is right now. Yeah. <laughs> He's saying it's so over. It's you never been what? more over. I respect that a lot more than getting up there and being like, we still got everything to play for. And like, we got to finish strong. Like, okay. That gets so annoying when coaches do that. So props to Dave Miranda for saying it's Jover, dude. It's so Jover. <laughs> He, he literally went on stage and said, it's never been more Jover than it is right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, again, we'll, we'll keep, keep eyes to Waco because I know they have a basketball arena opening up. And so I know there's money is tight there, but it's re it gets really, really hard to hold on to a coach that's saying this kind of stuff 
about your uh, about your program. So, uh, all right, let's move on to something good now. Sam Houston, forty-two, Louisiana Tech, twenty-seven. They did it. They won. I just want to point out that I FBS picked them this game. week. I picked them this week. Didn't you too, Ish? No, I did. Oh, is you, no, Carter? No, yeah. I can't pick them because I'm I've picked them already, and so I had to keep it rolling of oh, me not true. picking them and winning. <laughs> okay, okay, true. You're right. You're right. Okay, so yeah. we technically all picked them, but for different ways. <laughs> yes, yes. I I'm jinxing them, and I'm hoping that that is just doing his part. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Okay. So they have a win streak going, guys. They, they do. have a win streak in Huntsville. Or I guess this wasn't in Huntsville, but it, it, they did it in Ruston. They're undefeated um, in November. They are undefeated. That is crazy. They are undefeated in November. So here's the thing. Uh, this is perfect timing because uh, Sonny Cumbie just, like, basically banned a reporter from practice and, and then went on to lose in an embarrassing fashion at home. Uh, by the way, Keegan Shoemaker, 270 yards passing, 18 to 28, 54 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Listen. I'm not. I'm gonna read off his stats right now. Two thousand yards, sixty-three percent completion, fourteen touchdowns, eight picks. That dude, look, shut me up, man, because this was a guy who was not putting up good numbers at all. And the second they get to conference, and by the way, he also has no one else. Like this yeah. running, this running back room. I'm gonna read from somebody from somebody I talked to, somebody in connection over there. I'm gonna read something about their running back staff, the running back room. <clears throat> the running back rotation consisted of, this is quote, a walk-on slot receiver they moved to running back during camp, a high school option quarterback recruited as a DB who moved to running back in the spring. He was a non-dressed, <clears throat> excuse me, a non-dressed scout team player to start the season. And then a linebacker slash defensive end who happened to play running back in high school and also had a sack against oh. Louisiana Tech. <laughs> That's the running backer. <laughs> so Tegan Shoemaker is her- putting up Herculean stuff by comparison because their wide receiving room is also decimated. Their offensive line is also decimated. And he's playing his best ball right now now that they've gotten the conference play. Let me be very clear here. Sam Houston in a couple of years is going to be very good. Okay. And we're going to look back on this season and people are going to laugh and be like, ha ha. Remember when they were two and seven that first year and everyone was so bad and let the record show that Keegan Shoemaker was the bridge quarterback that got them to where they Uh will be for doing it with no one around him for being the senior captain and going out there and taking the lumps and being the bridge. And that is what Keegan Shoemaker's legacy will be at Sam Houston. And some people are going to try to forget, and I will never forget. Never forget Keegan. Oh, I'm, I'm bringing up his conference stats right now. 1,600 yards passing, 11 touchdowns to four picks. Like, if you would have said this dude was putting up those numbers at the beginning of the year, you're like, nah, no way, right? Mm-hmm. He's not, He's not. you know, where's Grant Gannell? We need to play him. And it's like, I understand you can only – you're trying to get things to work on offense. So you got to change something. And the quarterback is the easiest thing to change when everybody else is hurt. But look, he, this program, I think Keeler one obviously knows what he's doing and obviously knew the pitfalls that they were going to go into with numbers and, and a lack of depth and all that stuff. He's scrounging together something, man. Um, 
this is crazy. Well, they're finishing the year now with a, I mean, Western Kentucky, not easy. And then middle Tennessee, which again, not unbeatable. So we'll see. I know Western Kentucky also has been, I don't say down, but like they've been mortal. They've looked mortal. They lost, they just lost to New Mexico state yesterday. Um, so we'll see, right. Maybe something crazy could happen, continue to happen for, for Sammy's estate. They get in on a, on a bit of a high note. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's go with UTSA 34, Rice 14. Um, so Rice, of course, was without JT Daniels. And I guess the thing that I didn't expect was that they were also, they didn't start Chase Jenkins. It was AJ Padgett or, um, oh my. um, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. Yeah. So that was an interesting decision. Um, Frisco Reedy, shout out. What was that? Frisco Reedy, shout out AJ Padgett. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Um, he didn't play bad. I mean, again, this is a team that that we know is all about JT Daniels. And I think more in particular, for me, this is when I was encouraged. We'll talk a little bit on Rice. This is mostly by UTSA. But I was a little more encouraged that they didn't completely fall apart because I think that was the worry, right, was that JT Daniels is out, this team's awful, and they just look awful, and it's just never a contest, and it is what it is, and they just get destroyed. Look, that didn't wait. happen. We don't have moral victories, but it was three to nothing UTSA with like two minutes to go in the first half. I mean, it was 10-7 at the half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and so again, I think defensively, I was encouraged if I'm rice. I think the run game still a disaster, um, which is why I think Padgett didn't really have a chance in this game. Um, because Dean Connors and those guys on offense, the Juma Taviano, like just not they can't run this year. Um, and again, UTSA's offense kind of got going in the second half, which again, Rice's defense isn't very good. So that was bound to happen. So give, I'll give a little bit of credit to Rice unhealthy. They weren't healthy. Sure. Whatever. Looking at UTSA now, I think you can glean more in this game. And I think we had more of the Trey Moore discussion on a guy that's just all over the field. And for a team that's defense is as spotty as it is having somebody who you can just count on to be there and mop up so much changes, changes the game because now the offense looks like it's, it, I know, I know Kaborian Barnes didn't play yesterday, but like the offense looks like it's better. Rocco Griffin is somebody they can turn to Robert Henry, is somebody they can turn to in the run game. And now they have a defense where if you're not clicking right away, okay, cool. You have a guy like Trey Moore, who's able to do some stuff and make a play and kind of keep things in check. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to UTSA's, future schedule let's do some schedule analysis okay Um, south florida which should be a win that is this upcoming friday and then tulane tulane friday november 24th interesting that is so interesting that'll be that could potentially be the game for the american athletic conference championship or here's the thing tulane as much as we like to pencil them in there's a reason why they drop below smu in terms of the the group of five favorite they don't odds, don't win on in like any kind of dominant fashion. Exactly. So going back to the UNT game, of course, they beat Rice by two, they beat East Carolina by three, and they beat two Tulsa by two. Tulsa, yeah, yeah. This is a very very. I mean, speaking of <laughs> you, you talked about soft nine and one teams earlier. This is a very. I don't say soft, but it's very squishy. Nine and one team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you yeah, this is not the they had last year. 
by any It's a little Pillsbury Doughboy. You poke him and it's like, oh, what's going on here? It's some flesh. (laughs) (laughs) A little inflatable abs going on right now. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. So, again, UTSA, I think that this was a decent – again, sure, yeah, you can talk about the first half. It's like, oh, the offense, sure, whatever. The fact that they're able to kind of – take these punches and then just respond in convincing fashion, right? That second half, the second half wasn't close for this game. Um, the second half against uh, uh, UNT wasn't, we kind of got, you know, they finally, they were able to put them away in the second half. And so it was like, they're able to take these punches and then just come back. I think it's very encouraging for what this team could potentially be. Now the Kavorian Barnes thing. We'll see, right? We'll see. I don't know if he didn't play. Um also, we didn't mention the Jonathan Brooks thing with Texas either. That's yeah, another I just, running back. I just realized yeah. that we didn't mention that. Um, look, I mean, look, uh, it, very bad timing for some running back injuries across the state. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have a hold on. Let me pull up this tweet. It was yeah, from Clarence Hill. Uh, I believe he is with. Where is he at? He was. He's been a Cowboys writer. Oh, Four Star Telegram. Telegram. Yeah, Four Star Telegram. Yes. Um, he had a very pessimistic outlook tweet on it. Um, Texas is not optimistic about the injury to running back Jonathan Brooks. It said it can not only jeopardize his status for the rest of the season, but also his draft status. Uh, it's believed to be a knee rather than an ankle left the stadium on crutches and couldn't put any weight on it. Apparently they're hoping for the best, but fearing for the worst. So of course, none of this is, uh, Texas saying this, this is all reporter, but yeah. I mean, he immediately crawled to the sideline. He knew something was wrong. Uh, right. I was about to say, he went to the medical tent, then he went to the locker, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, so, he got wounded yeah. warrior carried all the way. Like, can we get this guy a cart, please? Right, like, yeah, seriously. What the hell's going on there? All the way. Like, yeah. Away from <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, like you mentioned, like, it's not Texas saying this, and Clarence Hill, he's a Cowboys reporter, but he is a – I trust him. He's a well-sourced reporter. Um so it to finish up that on Texas, yeah, like all of a sudden, granted, I think it's good that CJ Baxter's best stretch has been recently. Um, so it if they need him, I think this this injury potentially hurts them more than losing Quinn Ewers. Um because you, this is your home run guy. Yeah, this is your home run guy, and you lose a lot with this is no offense to Jaden blue. Who's going to come in now, but he's just not the He's young. He's not the same caliber of back right now that Jonathan Brooks has been all year. And Jonathan Brooks has really surpassed every expectation I had. And I think a lot of people have had, uh, I was so concerned about the running back room going into this year, losing B. John Robinson, Roshan Johnson and sure. Jonathan Brooks, not to say they haven't missed a beat, but they were flashing graphics of him last night with the best single season rushing performances in Texas history. And he's right there with Bijan, with Earl Campbell, with Ricky Williams, with Cedric Benson. He's had an awesome season. Yep. He's been spectacular. I mean, again, if Ollie Gordon, it's taken like three to three, two to three other, like, I don't say generational, but like genuinely like, if this was another team like Heisman worthy seasons from Ollie Gordon and Taj Brooks to like that, we're not talking about Jonathan Brooks and like a, like, mm-hmm. you know, best running back in the country situation. It's been that good of a running back year. That's kind of been it, but. Um, yeah, upgraded sorry. on Mel Kuyper's NFL draft board to like the best running back. <laughs> there you go, man. I mean, it's looking like it. All right. So yeah, we're hoping for the best there. Um, trying to be optimistic. All right. 
Um, I used all of our good news. We just have bad news now coming out with uh, with the games coming up. So uh, we'll end it, or we'll go with Texas State, uh, Coastal Carolina thirty one, Texas State twenty three. Dang it, Schmael. your fighting yeah, Schmael's it, didn't come through. It happens. Um, look, I mean, the concerning part here is that obviously Grayson McCall didn't play, mm-hmm. um, and they still won. Ethan Vasco start. Uh, Ethan Vasco started. And he played fine. It wasn't a really clean offensive game from them. Uh, a lot of penalties in this one. Some Texas State fans weren't happy about that. I, Texas State I had think it was just, twelve penalties for like hundred points. Right. It was it was a badly badly played game overall. Um, <clears throat> I don't think I really don't think the refs influenced people. There's there's some conspiracy theories going on. Whatever. Um, I think this was a game that Texas State just didn't come out looking their best. TJ Finley. Didn't finish the game, which I thought was interesting because GJ Kenny confirmed that he wasn't hurt, but yet Malik Hornsby played most of the second half. So I don't know. I I, I don't know. Um, I I wonder if it was also them not being able to protect him because he was sacked three times. Uh, they only threw the ball eleven times, so the running game was fine. But when the game got away from them, they had to abandon that kind of. So I don't know. We'll see. The fact that. Whether or not they think they couldn't protect him or not, the fact that you were able to get you went to your backup for most of the second half without TJ Finley being hurt, it's interesting to me. That's all I'm gonna say. It is interesting. I, I don't think this is like an indictment on TJ Finley for the rest of the year. I think just nothing no. was working at all. This was just right. a classic letdown spot for Texas State. I mean, it was an absolute party in San Marcos. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> jumping in the river as they should have been doing. They should have been celebrating. But then you go from that experience to rainy coastal Carolina. It looked miserable there watching on my computer. Of course, this was this was this was bound to happen. This was bound to happen. The hangover lasted just a little too long. Oh hangover, yeah. Yeah. Hangover on the square definitely still there's still toilet paper and all that on there probably on the square. (laughs) Look, just bury the football, bury the game tape. Yes, it, it was thirty-one twenty-three. It was nowhere near that close. I watched. No, no, no. It was a, it was a very late rally that that they got back into this game, and uh, yeah. So again, Coastal they seem to be turning a coin. I, I, I mentioned how their program didn't look as sharp as they did under Tim Beck. They hadn't, and it looks like they've started to turn a corner now. They've beaten. Uh, I believe they're now on a. Let's see. After losing to Georgia Southern, they've beaten App, Arc State, Marshall. Old Dominion, now Texas State. So they've been turning a corner in the Sun Belt. Um, I think they have one more conference game against James Madison coming up, which I think they may be able just to default themselves into the Sun Belt Championship anyway, just because obviously James Madison is not going to be able to go. So um, I believe Troy also clinched the West. So that'll be an interesting game. Um, so yeah, again, Texas State has Arkansas State coming up, which isn't as bad as they have been. They're eight, they're five and five right now. So. All of a sudden, an interesting game. They just lost to South Alabama by a touchdown last uh, this past week. So yeah, well, that'll be an interesting one. But... I sent the warning to you ish yesterday, but you're gonna have to, you know, keep your head on a swivel this week because those GJ Kinney coaching graphics are gonna be out. I already seen Baylor fans. I have to listen. I need, I need, I need the six and six season because then it becomes very hard to justify throwing millions of dollars at the six and six head coach as opposed to the seven and five eight and four head coach <laughs> uh-huh 
I need the letdown loss to Arkansas State to happen, and then the blowout loss to South Alabama. It's and then it's like, ah, can we really? Can you really throw million, two million at this guy? I don't know. The real Texas State fans need a loss versus Arkansas State this upcoming week. Oh, 100 percent. Oh, GJ, we need we need the loss. <laughs> we've never we've never needed a loss more. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. So uh, still, we'll be we'll pay, we'll be paying attention to that one. All righty. Uh, I believe this is the last one. Cincinnati 24, Houston 14. What? <laughs> um, you mentioned, so, so Carter, you mentioned uh, we were talking about quotes this week. You want to talk about a quote that made me mad this week? <laughs> Go for it. Um, Joseph Duarte, uh, after the post game, on, uh, apparently on the radio, <clears throat> said, uh, we didn't bring our A game. Uh, we didn't bring our best. Just embarrassing. Fair enough. This is from Dana Holgers. The quote that made me mad was, "Life in the Big Twelve is hard." Mm-hmm. My guy, you lost to the other first-year program in the Big Twelve. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't versus Texas. This isn't. This is. This is a quote you say after losing barely to Texas, right? This is a quote you say after you lose to TCU to start you know, the big 12 campaign, you lost to Cincinnati. Who's also not very good in conference. What do you, what? Who's begging for the season to end. They were two and seven. And Scott Satterfield was talking about whoever shows up in our locker room. We're going to have to figure it out. And it was embarrassing the lack of discipline. Like they were, they were the worst big 12 team and they were the newest big 12 team. So you don't get the, you don't get the big 12 is hard excuse Uh after this game. No, absolutely not. And now, if they, the fact that they were, I mean, I was prepared to have the whole, hey, has this season been as bad as we thought from Houston, right? Like, because yeah, I was prepared for them to win this game and all of a sudden be one win from a bowl. And it's like, man, was this season as bad as we thought, right? Sure, there were bad moments, but like, they're, they were, they're still, and I want to specify, they're still in bowl contention, of course. Oklahoma State lost a really stupid, weird game to UCF. So, yes, things are still there to play for. But, like, this doesn't make me feel better, right? This, this like, this type of game makes you wonder, actually, no, the season has been kind of a letdown for, for, what, mm-hmm. for what we thought. This was the game you had to have because you needed two wins in your last three to go to a bowl. And it was so doable. Like it was so doable, but we were penciling in this Cincinnati win is like, okay, they get this win and they got to win one of their last two. It's such a backbreaking loss. It's one they had to have. This isn't an offense that's been clicking, right? Uh, uh, Cincinnati. I mean, Uh, and we we talk about Emory Jones every year. He's going to be, he's going to be the year to figure it out. Well, he figured it out enough for this one. Um, I believe he also didn't finish the game either. So, like, there was a backup quarterback as well was in there. Donovan Smith had a pick, uh, uh, a weird pick that kind of bounced off a corner's helmet a little bit. But he had, like, just over 100 yards passing. He had to do it a lot on the ground. And it was just like, I think this game was, what, 24-7, I think, at one point? Like, Houston had a score. Houston had 165 yards of offense with three minutes elapsed in the fourth quarter. Like it was not that close. That's dumb. Yeah. It's <clears throat> look, the fact that the offense is the, is the part that's messing up. What, what's that say about the guy coaching it? Right. That that's his offense. Um, we knew this, we knew he, Cincinnati wanted to make it ugly because they play ugly because their offense isn't very good. Cause they are. And, 
because they're an ugly team. It's, they stink. <laughs> and they just didn't. Yeah, I don't know. that. This one probably literally probably more than any other loss. This one probably makes would make me the most upset if I'm a Houston fan. Because it was like, like you mentioned, they need two out of the next three. Or now they need two of the next two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oklahoma State just got their embarrassing loss out of the way. So Ollie Gordon may go for 350 on the ground. I was going to say, this is their get-right game. <laughs> it becomes a get-right game. All of a sudden, you know, we're probably on track for Kansas State-Baylor. Uh, mm-hmm. Similar to there. And then UCF, who just unloaded a can on <laughs> Oklahoma State. All of a sudden, like, you get them, who also still playing for a bowl right UCF could all of a sudden end the year with six or seven wins and they got something to play for so all of a sudden a potential bowl season could easily go four and eight and we're right back to oh yeah never mind this team actually was actually pretty bad this year but also for the whole big 12 is hard thing it's like this is not a San Houston scenario where they play two seasons in one calendar year and then jumped up to FCS ball like very late in the game and got all the toughest non-conference opponents. Like Dana Holgerson knew what he was getting into six, five, however many years ago he got there when they Mm -hmm. were still in the American athletic conference, they've been preparing for this move for years. Mm -hmm. And by the way, um, for life in the big 12 is hard. They didn't get Kansas or Oklahoma this year. Like, you got one of the easier draws you could have possibly gotten in the Big 12. You got every other, except for BYU, every other new team. You got, obviously, you got Kansas State and Texas, but you almost beat Texas, and obviously Kansas State put you into the center of the earth. Um, but, like, you get you got West Virginia, right, which obviously you needed a Hail Mary to win, but you still won. It could have been harder. <laughs> It just could have been harder, which is crazy. This Cincinnati team would be near bottom of the American Athletic Conference. Oh, 100%. 100%. This is, not, like you mentioned, this isn't a good team. So, yeah, the fact that they lost convincingly at home to this team is very depressing. Um, all right. I think that's it, if I'm not mistaken. What an end. What a way to end it. Just getting- yeah. Be- because of course the other game was A and M, but we're not talk. I don't care. Like <laughs> your coach is fired, so like I'm sorry. Don't uh, care. Congratulations for getting a bowl eligible. Um, Elijah Robinson will get to coach a bowl game, you know. And uh, yeah, looks like they have a backup third string quarterback. I don't know. Um, Henderson looked pretty good. That was about it. That was all I had. <laughs> There's already players like entering the transfer portal now too. <laughs> Scrolling I was about through to say. <laughs> like it's just it's getting worse. Heck yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be awesome. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. This is the domino that I think people are wanting to fall in terms of like interest, but we like we're unsure if it actually. We got the yeah. biggest domino to fall early. Yes. And also, it was like, it was one that you maybe thought would happen, but not one that you were guaranteed to happen. So, mm-hmm. interesting stuff. So, keep it tuned to techsubble.com. Go check out Craven's piece on potential candidates. Uh, check out Aggie Warpod as well on Republic of Football. I believe this that'll be up tomorrow. Him and Jay will go very, very in depth on this whole thing once they get a whole day to kind of listen. I believe AM also has a press conference today at five, I think was just announced as well. Um, or tomorrow, I think today at five. So we'll see um, what else new, whatever news comes out. Uh, please keep it locked here and we'll see you guys on Wednesday where undoubtedly more news will be released and then we'll talk about the week ahead as well. So, Whew. it's been a crazy it's not even noon and it's been a crazy sunday so uh yeah thank you guys for listening and uh 
I was gonna say Jimbo Fisher give us a call, but no, don't. We don't need don't to give us a call. Workshop. We don't need. <laughs> We've got some workshopping to do. Uh, we, no more Jimbo Fisher give us a call. No more wide zone. We got to conference together and get some new sayings. How about this, Ross Bjork? Give us a call. Okay. We have some names. We have some names. You we'll just end every us? episode with a potential candidate for Texas A and M. Urban Meyer, give us a call. Exactly. Mike Elko, give us a call. We'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. <laughs>